Got got my guitar. I'm working on uh, working on something new. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, it's a cover. <clears throat> What kind of eggs you like? What kind of eggs you like? What kind of eggs you like? Go, go, go. Go to the therapist. Tell her your feelings. All of your feelings. What kind of eggs you like? What kind of goes on like that? Does it go? For a really long time, yeah. What do you think? I love it. No, uh, that. Hold on, I gotta take this guitar off now. Wait, wait. Was that new to you? Have I, have I run what kind of eggs you like? Asked you before. Well, I, I didn't hear what you said because I had the headphones off. What? I was asking if had, had I passed uh, what kind of eggs you like over to you before? Or was that a, a new experience in the last five minutes? That was a brand new experience. I, uh, you know, it's one green... of the best experiences you'll ever have in your life. <laughs> it's spectacular. It's seeing what kind of eggs you like video for the first time. I saw it. Uh, I was watching it over Rian's shoulder. She saw you had posted about it on Facebook, uh, and uh, um, we watched it together. It's it's spectacular. Who who's responsible for it? What is it? I don't I don't know anything about it except that it's on the YouTube. And uh, when I got to Seattle in two thousand eight, all of my friends were quoting it around the Spaghetti Wednesday table. <laughs> my friend uh, Leslie, who owns the the the, the business Stickers, makes little oh. skins for um, laptops and cell phones. We've talked and, about stickers and on other the things. Uh, and she had uh, a great bunch of little squad of employees for a while who were all friends, um, you know, young high school uh, high school dropouts at the time, now college graduates. That's how quickly time passes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think all they did at the shop was watch that video and maybe dance along to it um, for, for weeks. It's and, super danceable. And, and we would watch it and we would talk about it, we'd pass it around and still we noticed that even today, 2013, um, this one of the best creations of the internet still only has like 16,000 hits. Like for some reason it has not. Really? Yeah. It has not uh, taken the world by storm. It should be emperor of the world. This video, yeah, Jesus Christ, it should be making our decisions for us. <laughs> it should have solved world hunger by now. <laughs> eggs, and not only not only world hunger, but general dissatisfaction because everyone gets the kind of eggs that they they can dream of. The kind that that take their eyeballs out. The kind that tie and untie their shoe. Put them back in. Cook a baguette. Eat a baguette. Eat a baguette. Cook a baguette. Eat a baguette. <laughs> Yeah, and the crazy thing is, like here I got I've got it up on the YouTube and all the uh, all the uh, surrounding video. You know, the suggested videos are inferior videos with millions and millions of views. They're nothings. They're no, little nothings. They're really nothings. Can you, can you I should play here's it a, such a way that the yeah, audio. Yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, I'm just going to splice it in. Splice it in. I'm going to splice it into the Splicing show. Splicing begins now. Tell the hole! Tell the hole! Get to the hole! What kind of eggs you like? What kind of eggs you like? 
And that was what kind of eggs you like? That was that was by presumably gods. Gods who've temporarily settled on Earth. And the only the only description along with the video is the sentence: "These eggs is cray cray." They are cray cray eggs. Yeah. So yeah, I like it. I like it very much. It's a good way to start my day. Although my day started a while ago, but it really only begins with the beginning of the podcast for real. Right, right. Well, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you uh, that you saw the saw the greatness of it. Uh, what else is new with you? Oh, not a whole lot. It's uh, you know I'm in that, that I've been unemployed, you know, or you know, happily jobless or a full-time dad or whatever you call it, long enough now that I have no idea what day it is or what time of day it is, <laughs> ever. That's what happens I, when it doesn't matter. I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, is it October yet? I don't know what, you know what year it is. I feel like running up to somebody in the street and asking you know, what, what day it is you know, and what year. Well, I, you know, you seizing should... the lapel. What year, man? What year? Surely you you know what today is because this is the day everyone takes down their September 11th tree and their September 11th lights and they throw the September 11th wrapping paper into the fire and they start returning they go they go back to the mall to return their September 11th gifts. I didn't you know I I I didn't didn't hear a lot about it yesterday. <laughs> really? Yeah. Were you on the internet yesterday? A, a little bit. Yeah, that's that's it. If you're on the internet a lot, as I was, yeah, um, it's been a long time now. You know, now the length of time between 2001 and, and now is the is the, the 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 time span between the end of World War II and the uh, uh, the the rise of Elvis Presley. <laughs> Whoa! So who is who is our Elvis of September 11th? Well, I don't know. Uh, um, probably. Frank Ocean. <laughs> Frank Ocean is our. Frank Ocean is to World War Two as Elvis is to September 11th. Is Frank Ocean? I have not. I have not investigated Frank Ocean. Is he related to four other pop oceans of the past? I don't think he's related to the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> or Billy. I was thinking of Billy. That's the Caribbean Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Caribbean Queen. Yeah, and he's not related. He's not related to uh, to Billy Ocean. Have you seen Billy Ocean lately? You know, there's no. Uh, you know, I think his his concerts might might be on PBS. I think they might have had a PBS f- Billy Ocean show. <laughs> and he looks. He's old. I mean, he was he was pretty old. He was he was old for a pop star at the time of Caribbean Queen and and uh, Get Out of My Life and Into My Car. Right. Uh, which are great songs. <laughs> They're great pop songs. Uh, I mean, I think he was already, you know, in his thirties uh, or forties at that point. So now he's, you know, having a little revival, and uh, and is an old man, but can tear it up. You know, got a white mane of hair. Um, but he has nothing uh, to do with Frank Ocean, except that they both write great pop songs. Oh, there you go. Frank Ocean's great. He went to. He's from New Orleans. He went yeah. to uh, John Arrett High School um, on the the West Bank, um, and. Uh, not the high school there. when you. Uh, I, I'm surprised you didn't say the high school you taught at. He did not go the, to uh, the New Orleans Center of Creative Arts. Oddly, yeah, would have would have been great. No, he went to a kind of a rough, uh, rough industrial suburb school. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, pop songwriting, give, give him a shot. Listen to Novocaine. That's the song. Novocaine okay. and uh, Super Rich Kids um, and Swim Good. Has uh, has Alice Bolin weighed in on Frank Ocean in public yet? Because she's um, she's our, my go to person for pop music. I would like to know Alice's opinion of Frank Ocean. All right, we'll, we'll solicit it. Uh, no, not Twitter. just not just uh, good or bad because she's beyond such simple judgments. I would like to. I'd like to know about her. I would like to know what Alice thinks is the Elvis analogy to September 11th. Yeah, actually, I would too. I would too. Let's uh, let's ask her. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and ask her on Twitter right now. Oh, by the way, I just uh, this reminds me. I have something up on the, my screen on Twitter that I want to talk about. But let's let's write to Alice first. How should we um, word this? Uh, Alice Bowen. 
Polite, that, politely, politely requesting. Okay. You can fill in the rest. That you weigh in on Lunchbox Lunchbox Podcast. That's the name of our podcast, right? I think so. Um, who you think our our Elvis? Who's our Elvis? Of our post September 11th Elvis is right. Right. Okay. All right. While we're waiting for an answer, I'll tell you um, uh, what I I posted earlier. I was uh, so the Story Mountain Sweetheart Band album is coming out. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. Um, is, that official, it, is that it by your turntable? Um, no, that's uh, that's an album. This is actually interesting. It's called Five Days Married and Other Laments. It's a bunch of old uh, Greek folk songs recorded in the first half of the century. <laughs> That is has been uh, issued by Angry Mom Records, which is Ithaca's vinyl record store, uh-huh. oh. uh, who have gone from being a sort of uh, under the radar kind of startup to a, to a record label. A great store, incredibly nice guys. They do not condescend to you. Uh, they're very enthusiastic, and you know you walk in, even if you've only been in there once or twice, they they remember you and they'll start recommending things to you based on yeah. what you've bought before. So gr- a great store. Anyway, it's on their label, and I I recommend it. Um, so, uh, I'm you know the 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 physical CDs are in the house. We're uh, we're getting them up on you know digital download services. We've got a couple of gigs coming up to promote it, and we're sending it to radio stations and so on. So I get it up on um, CD Baby, which is yeah. the service most musicians use to sell um, right sell right. their stuff because CD Baby will they'll send it to iTunes and Amazon.com and the other uh-huh. digital places. And you have to go through this long process of filling in all these blanks about, you know, are your, your songs have explicit lyrics? Who's the author? Who's the publisher? And right, it takes right. about half an hour. Yeah. And then you get to mood. Please choose a mood. Oh, what mood did you choose? Let me, um, I have to uh, say, is it a drop down menu? It's a drop down menu. And I've got it right nice. here. The, the mood nice. of our album that makes creativity simple. It does. Drop down menus. So here, here are some, here are some, uh, some of the moods available on offer. The many, the many moods of CD Baby. Right. Christian. Right. Check. Fe- featuring saxophone. Check. Angry. Check. Patriotic. Pass. Sex music. Double check. <laughs> Out and proud. That's not a mood. Featuring saxophone and out and proud are not moods. They are. They can <laughs> they can get you in the mood. Uh, background music. Yeah, that's that'd be mine. Political. Political background music. Can you can you check more than one? Sound effects. No, you angry, have to choose angry political background music featuring saxophones. <laughs> we have to choose one. One. So the one I chose was featuring guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just didn't know. <laughs> There's no, almost nothing here that's a mood, uh, but um, sound effects is definitely not a mood. Also, oh, here's another one: type sonic. That's not a mood. That's all. All music is sonic, is it not? All, all of it. Yeah. yeah. Who's who are choosing these? Anyway, I I uh, got a kick out of that. So then I got an email featuring I was, guitars. Featuring because you have two guitars, guitar. right? At least two um, guitars. At least two. There's at least just about every song features me on electric guitar, Lauren on electric guitar, and one of us on acoustic guitar as well, as well as other instruments. That's great. What's but the I'd title of the album? The title of the album is yeah. "The Starry Mountain Sweetheart right. Band." Yeah, and the uh, and the title of the of there's a song with that title as well. Right. It's a good um, song. Thank you. Thank I've you. Heard so, that from the whatever service. The whatever yeah. service. Well, whatever I listened to, whatever you had it on. Oh yeah, earlier. Yeah. So I got an email from my friend uh, Jim Spitznagel this morning while I was filling this out, this form out. Yes. John, he writes. Last night I had a dream that the SMSB had a big hit with a mid-tempo countryish song called "She Likes the Way He Acts." It became a hit because it was used in a popular movie. Oh yeah, you sang lead. I got out of bed around four a.m. to write down some of the lyrics. Jim. <laughs> Did he have some of the lyrics listed? He didn't, he didn't send them to me. Maybe he's going to finish the song for me. She likes the way he acts. It's actually not bad. It's, it's yeah. not as good as uh, uh, 
what is it? Get it, get out of my life and into my car. Get out, get into both my life and car. Is that what that's called? It's called car and life. <laughs> Entrances and exits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So I was, uh, I suddenly became self-conscious a few minutes ago when I asked you <laughs> what was up. Because we have a mutual friend who occasionally gets into a mood where when I talk to her on the phone, uh, uh, suddenly says, stop asking me questions. It feels like you're interviewing me. And I realized that's actually, that's a pretty fair description of my conversational style. It's a little... Yeah, well, the only, the only answer to that, that demand is, is to ask how that makes them feel. <laughs> Which is exactly what... This person is requesting I not do. That's right. a question. Well, how does that? How does it make you feel that I? I keep wonder. Questions? I wonder how it makes you feel when I ask you <laughs> questions. But I realized I I have uh, maybe I kind of have a confrontational conversational style. Maybe this is something I ought to think about. I think friends ask friends questions. <laughs> do they? I don't know how I, I ask people questions. I ask people what's up, um, and then um, when they run out of that s- subject, I ask what else is up. I want to know. <laughs> Because you know there's I'm more. I'm curious, but I don't want to categorize it. I, I want to say, no, what's the second thing that's up? And then what's the third thing that's up? I, I mean, it's repetitive, but it often, you know, it, 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 it draws people. What, people what, are the, what are the implications of the third thing that is up? Right. The nice thing about asking people what's, what's up or asking questions is then you aren't answering them yourself. Right. See, I, I think the puts reason... puts the focus on the other person, which is a... Which is, both friendly and a little lazy. A li- yeah. But a little you know. lazy. I just want to hear you talk about stuff because I like you. <laughs> and you're, you've been reliable in the past about answering these questions yeah. and having answers that are worth, worth hearing. Uh, I actually like to be asked questions. It's like I... turning the page in a story or a book. Yeah. Right? It's like the little... Um, the little Tinkerbell sound in a golden book, right? The ding, turn the page. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, great. Well, we've reached the end of this conversational bit. Now, what's up on the next page? I'd like to know. What's up on the next page of our conversation? Coming up on page five. <laughs> I ask you what you had for breakfast, and you tell me to stop asking you questions. <laughs> I actually know what's up with you. I, I hear that you gave a stellar reading at... Uh, Shakespeare and Company Tuesday night. Oh, I would say I would say it was I would say it was mixed. In what mixed between what and what? Sorry, getting a phone call from my friend Carl. I'm going to answer it later. All right. Because it was a bookstore reading about the 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 new book, I felt like I should read from the book and say things about the book roughly. All right. Seems appropriate. Sure. That's what I'd really been asked to do but i've been having um a great month of writing probably the best the best month i've had as a writer wow in just just pages and what i think is quality and what, what it feels really good and it feels new and and open and natural and um I, I, I really like. I, I mean, I, I recognize that I have years ahead of, of work with this new stuff that I'm doing. Sure. But I, that's what I'm excited about, and I wanted to really read that because I'm, I'm, I'm. I feel a sense of urgency to share it, which is a terrible mistake, of course. Do you really think so? Well, yes. I mean, you know, because <laughs> because it's not done and it won't be done for a while. You know, I'm still. I mean, the poems are done individually, but there's. Connections between them, and I'm reading. I still see those, you know, those passages that I need to cut. There's lines I need to tighten. There's things I want to add. I'm still discovering things about the poems, and I should. One should probably wait until they're done with that process um, before rushing out and asking for people's attention. But I just feel really good about them, and I want to say these things that are in them, and they they're the sort of poems that seem, uh, you know, speakable, <laughs> and so I. I you know, I wanted to, I wanted to wanted to read them, and so I, I, I cut them, I, I cut them out, and I pasted them into the book, so that it would look like I was reading <laughs> <the> poems. <laughs> look at <laughs> that! 
So it looked like I was reading from the book, but I wasn't. It looks like it looks like the way you you put your Archie comic behind your Earth Science textbook. No, yeah, or a, or a, or a or like a uh, like a, a soda can label around a beer can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a paper bag around a, a bottle around of a bottle of Muscatel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, but I, I, I that, that felt. I felt kind of weird, and so I, I just read. A, I read a couple of the new poems, and then, and then, and then the the, the old poems. I just don't feel a lot of uh, my my interest is not in them, even yeah. though the book is new. Let's see. I'm, I'm sort of. I'm not rejecting them. I stand by them. I don't think I could have said them in another way, but they're kind of little anxiety boxes. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, each line, each word, every decision is sanded down. I've thought about a hundred times. You know, I worked. You know, really, really hard and and long on 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 everything in rough day, and um, and now I'm sort of reacting against it <laughs> instead yeah, of little well, boxes of anxiety. I'm looking for ways out of anxiety. Well, it's it's because they're dead to you. You know, uh-huh. to to your readers, it, it's it's life. It's new life. It's something that you you read, and it makes it makes special mind pictures, and you have them in your head, and it makes you feel delighted, and it reminds you of things, and it's a new thrilling experience, and that's why you publish them. But to special you, special mind pictures, they are they are the uh, the end product, the the ossified end product of a of a, of a living process that is now over. Excellent sermons from a religion I no longer believe in. Yes, exactly, exactly. And this is why I dislike uh, b- book tours. Well, that's not true. I actually, I actually enjoy book tours, but the actual going into the bookstore and reading from the book, it's, it's the last thing that I want to read from. Right. You know, But it's the thing that I have to sell, and the thing I want to read from is not available for sale and may never be. But right. ne- nevertheless, when I'm not actively promoting a book i almost always read from new new work right if you're just reading it come been asked to come to north dakota state university and read from and read generally yeah read what's on your mind read what's new yeah so anyway so i have a bunch of readings coming up i got second wind got a reading in seattle a couple readings in seattle coming up and and uh and they're not you know specifically tied to rough day so i'm gonna i'm looking forward to reading um, a bunch of new poems that I'm excited about to people good, who good. have heard the poems that are in Rough Day in various forms over and over again and have been polite enough to, to sit through them. So, um, yeah. So I feel good. But it's, it's sort of, I, I feel like, oh, so am I writing, am I writing these, uh, is the work coming so quickly because I'm about to die? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what a conclusion to jump to. Well, as often happens that 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 that, that, that people have a, this big, you know, like a sort of breakthrough, this like blast of poems, you know, like Keats's odes and the you know uh, Plath's Ariel, you know, right before they die. So I'm wondering if this is, you know, so if if something happens in the next couple months, yeah, you know, investigate. Uh, well, you know, as Alice has said on Twitter, Alice. Uh, correctly guessed the the name of the uh, royal baby and then she said on twitter i knew it was going to be george but i didn't put it on the internet always put your predictions on the internet always put your predictions so on the internet that's what you're doing right now you're putting your prediction of your own death on the internet so when you're saying if, if it looks it happens, if it looks suspicious it probably is oh man if that were true this would be a deeply deeply complicated i'm just suggesting world. there's a poetry there's a poet serial killer who stalks poets through the ages? Killed John Keats. Wait, killed wait, wait, wait. Through the ages. Through the ages. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm positing a sort of uh, 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 spectral boogeyman, time traveler, uh, who hates good poetry and goes and and uh, does poets in just before they're about to write something that would be very pleasant for everybody else, but acid on this boogeyman's ears. Wow. A so, Highlander type. A Highlander type. I you think. know the type. <laughs> you know the type. Yeah. When's your second uh, wind? Oh, John, that's a good question. <laughs> when's, your, when's your third act? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> when's the fourth race? Uh, 
It's a week after you're here, I think. After ah, okay. uh, the festival of the book. Right. You're reading with Zach, right? I believe so. Yeah, and I'm reading with Phil, a gentleman named Phil. That's his name. The for the, for Phil. the listeners who Phil don't Schaefer. know, uh, Second Wind is still my favorite reading series of all time. Good reading series. That takes place in Missoula, and it's run by grad students in the MFA program there. And and I, I was one of them. Did you ever? Did you run it? Were you one of the Second Winders? No. Um, I don't, I, it was. Uh, I don't. I don't. I can't remember who ran it. Mark Holthoff and I ran it our year, and. Uh, uh, it's essentially a, a pairing of a graduate student with an established writer, usually someone from town, um, though this year I think uh, the organizers are bringing in some alums, like you and me, and uh, um, and Sharma Shields right. and her husband Sam Mills are all, we're all reading and are graduated from the program. But the nice thing about it is it takes place in a bar, and it's right. on a this Sunday. This year it's at the, the Badlander. Yeah, where I haven't been. It had, it had been at the Top Hat for a while, and in our day, it was at the Old Post. Right. And then later at the Union Club. Yeah, it's moving around. It has. But um, this will be my third second win reading, and I seem to be doing it pretty much once a decade. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, I'm, you know, we don't get paid for it, but it's, I'm more excited about my second win reading than I've been for a reading in a very long time. I'm excited for yours as well. It, yeah. It'll be nice. The Badlander's a good room for it. Good. Uh, the drinks are cheap and the, the the chairs are comfortable. It's cozy. We had the, the the first one was this last week. It was Kevin Canty. Read a new story about Wallace, Idaho in the 70s. Oh, great. Good story. Mostly dialogue. And a uh, um, Julie Rouse, second year uh, poet, read Excellent. Good crowd. Much revelry. And there's a back entrance to the uh, um, Golden Rose Bar from the Badlander. It's all in the same building, like an old hotel or an old business building. And so there's actually two or three or four bars that are connected by an interior hallway mm-hmm. uh, in the building. And so you can feel like you're going um, into the Copacabana or something through the, through the oh, kitchen. a la Goodfellas. Exactly. Or Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah, a little combination somewhere in between on yeah. that scale. The scale between <laughs> the long shot of uh, the long tracking shot of of entering uh, Goodfellas, which is one of the the great tracking shots, one of, the, one of my favorite moments in movies. Oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, um, and uh, the Spinal Tap. Yeah, somewhere between there. Looks more hey. like the Spinal Tap one. So, uh, uh, just a brief interruption here. Alice has. Uh, semi responded on Twitter to our post nine eleven Elvis yes. uh, inquiry. She says, "I kind of want to say, do you want to guess? Um, uh, you're loading up your Twitter. No, I, I wasn't actually. I no. I, 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 I can't guess. Uh, some is oh, I don't know. Um, I she probably is saying Taylor Swift." No, that's that is an obvious choice, but no, she says I kind of want to say Eminem, but I have to think on this further. Yeah, but Eminem was around already, two thousand one. Was Elvis? To him, when was that's all right, Mama? <sighs> After the oh. war. Oh yeah. yeah, Elvis breaks out in nineteen fifty-seven. Oh okay, okay. Okay. That might have been 54, but, but 57 is the beginning of Elvis. Mania. Okay, so I'm saying, ah, but Ed says. It's got to be somebody new, somebody breaking out this year. Somebody e- epochal. Yeah, okay, epochal. That'd be a good rap name. Epochal? Epochal. E period pockal. Yeah, or dash. <laughs> yeah, dash. E dash pockal. Or semicolon. Not enough semicolons. In rappers' names, no, I think it should be more semicolons. The Wu semicolon Tang clan, for example. <laughs> Chuck semicolon D. That's, that's, say it that's good. Yeah, I yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, well, that's lovely. <clears throat> Did you have a good time at the Bumbershoot Festival last weekend? Ed, and I a have half to go? say, I have to say, I was gonna, I was, I was trying to think of how I wanted to frame. The my uh, my my talking about the uh, about the about the bumper shoot, 
But um, I, I just want to say it was great. It was great. I had a wonderful time. I thought that our show went over quite well. I'm a little, you know, what happened with the sound for those those listeners who listened to the recording of it that in which the musical portions of the show were hideously distorted. I have this, I bought this device specifically for the show because the sound guys via email had told me that I would need to bring a recording device and I didn't want to hand over my cell phone or I didn't want to like bring a computer to record on at an interface. So I got this um, Zoom is the brand. It's a portable audio recorder that has both inputs from, say, a mixing board and a couple of microphones. So what we were going to do was record the inputs from the board at the same time as the microphones were recording the crowd noise, the copious amount of crowd noise. And um, and I knew that if you, you know, I didn't want to overload the signal going in from the board. So I mentioned to the guy, you know, I don't want to overload the signal going in. And he took the thing from my hand and said, yeah, I know how these work. I'll take care of it. He has no idea how it works. And he plugged it all in, and he hit record. He's like, all right, you're recording. And I said, right. fine. And then I got it back, and of course, the input volume was way, way, way too high, and the whole recording got blasted out. So I will not trust anyone in Missoula. Thanks, unions. That's that's right. Because because we had to, not we, but, the, but Bumbershoot had to pay more, pay everyone, like the five crew members all had to get more yeah. money because we were because it was we're bringing broadcast. it to our listeners we're bringing it to our Free. listeners it's a new a different category of endeavor but aside from that That's i fine. think it, it sounded great in the room i had a wonderful time i think matthew and sarah are terrific people and sp- i spent the rest of the weekend hanging out with friends and saw some of my favorite musical acts including saw that you saw the um essentially the who's could do yeah, he played uh, Bob, Bob playing a Bob lot of Huskadoo tunes. Played four or five Huskadoo tunes at the end of the set there, and it, pretty much the exact songs that I listened to when uh, on the many the many times I had been dumped in high school and college, <laughs> and would get into my car and drive angrily around. I would listen to "I Apologize" and "New Day Rising" and uh, whatever else he played. Those those are great tunes. Yeah, favorite was, Huskadoo song of mine is "Turn on the News." Turn on the news. That is a good one. A great tune. A turn on, a, a turn on, a, a turn on the news. Yeah. That one. Yeah. I think it's, that's probably not his, though. That seems more. Grant Hart. Uh, Grant Hartish. Yeah. Although, and this is something I think about often in bands in which there are, there's more than one talented uh, songwriter. Yeah. And uh, I actually, um, I should co-write a song with Adam from our band, not that we're especially talented, but um, I like when a band who, that has two distinct songwriters who always sing lead on their own songs, when they collaborate and they trade off lead vocal yeah. singing. Yeah. So the Who's Do example is Flip Your Wig, mm-hmm. in which they uh, Grant Hart and Bob Mould exchange not only uh, lead singing duties, but they have different melody lines and, and different... Uh, different kinds of lyrics in their two sections. Or uh, there might be Giants Cowtown, mm. where they sit, they trade off lead, lead singing. Um, uh-huh. I can't think of other examples. But there's something, there's something kind of beautiful about that. You don't get that, a lot of Lennon-McCartney stuff like that, do you? I don't think so. I don't know much about the Beatles, though. No? I mean, I kind of do, but I've, I'm, I'm actively forgetting it. I'm trying to... When the subject of the Beatles comes up, I just I uh, <clears throat> I kind of start erasing, you know. Erasing? Than, yeah, I want to know less <laughs> about the Beatles than I do. Oh, because I don't care. Okay, but wh- who do you want to no know offense. more about? No, no offense. No, that's quite all right. Oh, I don't know. John Keats, yeah. uh, my baby, uh, the war in Syria, John. <laughs> Hunger, <laughs> salvation. Don't, you don't want to know about that shit. You don't. <laughs> I'd like to know more about. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to know more about the Kinks. Yeah, that's worth. I don't know. That, about. I don't know that much about the Kinks. I have a bunch of the records, but I don't know yeah. a whole lot about them. Yeah. All right, let's commit ourselves to learning more about the Kinks. I do know that the Kinks, before they really hit it big, uh, took. They were on an American tour, perhaps their first American tour. Mm-hmm. Um, very low, you know, lowly capitalized tour. I think going around 
in the in the fashion with a van, I think, and sleeping on couches, playing college towns. Yeah. Um, and they were uh, when they were playing some college or or ballroom in Wisconsin, I suppose, it was, or it must have been Illinois. Um, they were uh, they went and stayed at uh, John Wayne Gacy's house. <laughs> Put them up for the night. And then they felt a little creeped out and left. I believe that's a true story. Yeah, I think, I think you're and right. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, yeah and this was before uh, John Wayne Gacy had his popular hits as well. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Hey, Alice has another answer. I think this is a better yeah. answer. Uh, Kanye West. She says, I think Kanye West has defined the post-9-11 music, quote, the iTunes generation, unquote, slash whatever. No, but that's that's more like um like <laughs> no, somebody that's your somebody response. he's like the Louis Jordan, like somebody who maybe he breaks out in about nineteen forty five and then, you know, makes or a Louis Prima you know, <laughs> entertains the kids, you know, between nineteen forty five and nineteen fifty seven. Well Alice now self corrects. He's more like the post nine eleven Bob Dylan, she says. Yeah. See, but <laughs> but this is not post eleven, this is post 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 nine eleven, right? That's what I'm saying. Is this is the year of the end of the post nine eleven era, and the beginning of let's forget about it. Oh right? my god! Or let's remember it, um, you know, thoughtfully from time to time, but no longer defining us. Right? Because if people by fifty seven could get over fucking World War two. Yeah. By 2013, we can stop walking around with long faces about 9-11, which is we... not as big a deal as World War II. <laughs> All right, World War we're... II was a bigger deal than 9-11. <laughs> There's no question. I guess we're talking about this now, aren't we? This is... I mean no disrespect to the you know, 2,677 not. people who were killed in it or our fraudulent wars that followed up <laughs> or the continuing you know, um, uh, post-colonial fallout of terrorism. But, uh, you know... It doesn't have to define us anymore. It doesn't. Well, um, you saw, I hope, the, uh, the, the Twitter hate going around yesterday about the uh, AT&T ad. AT&T put out on their Twitter feed an ad. It was an image of um, the New York City skyline, and someone was holding up a cell phone to it. And the cell phone is where the Twin Towers would have been, and it had the, you know, the two beams of light going uh-huh. up i guess that was a thing for a while maybe it still is in new york um and it just they tweeted that it was with the cell phone with the twin things of light and then you know hashtag never forget and people just people freaked out about it saying that never, never forget incredibly crass specific is a specific holocaust phrase never yeah. forget belongs to the to the holocaust memory well i i bring up this at&t thing because someone very quickly created a parody account, a parody Twitter account called AT&T Never Forgets, at AT Terrorism. <laughs> and it is, it's a series of um, uh, c- connecting great tragedies to uh, their cell phone network. Like, uh, <laughs> like, hashtag never forget the Great Fire of London, 1666, and never forget about our blazing fast LTE network. Uh, never forget the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami, and don't forget to switch your wireless carrier. We won't drown you in overages. Oh my God! Well, I like that. It's very adbusters. Uh, never forget the Fourth Crusade of 2002 to, or <laughs> t- 1202 to 1204, and then crusade against Byzantine contracts with our new nationwide <laughs> IO prepaid service. <laughs> or maybe my favorite one of all is. Uh, <laughs> Never forget Ted Bundy's 1970s killing spree in several western states. Check out our coverage map in Washington, Oregon, <laughs> Idaho, and Utah. <laughs> I didn't see that one. Yeah. I saw that one and didn't understand it. Yeah, I, I was convinced. I saw that first, and I thought, oh, somebody's talking about Ted Bundy. The first, uh, the first person who I saw retweeting this feed was um, my old student, Addie Robertson, who is a um, – some people might recognize her name from The Verge. She's a, she's a tech writer for The Verge and does these oh. occasional uh, video, uh, video, 90-second video updates for them. And so she's a great kid and a good writer. And, uh, and she retweeted this, and I looked, and there were only like three followers. And I thought, oh, it's got to be her. But she thinks it's a colleague of hers maybe. Anyway, oh. I, 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 uh, 
I got to kick out of that. So yeah, I feel like uh, do do we does you know twenty uh, first century America feel that it needs a Holocaust to to feel legit? I'll just let that question hang out there. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a heavy question. It's not even. It's not even like a. It's not even a round number uh, uh, anniversary of September 11th, and I just got September 11th all day long. I mean, yeah. I I guess it's where we get our gravity from. Yeah. Right now. I don't know. Well, this is connected to something else. This is gonna. This is sort of a lateral move, but well, I'm, one, what, one interesting thing, just really quickly. All right, go ahead. Is we have in our memory of 9/11 disconnected it from our. Our wars in in Iraq and Afghanistan. Sure, we should. We, should, we have. Yeah. Well, they, they should the, have been disconnected in the first place, but they aren't in, historically. And well, now it's part of part of our forgetting about uh, that the miasma of post nine eleven America is going back to the source and saying, "Oh, that was great." Yeah, I think those wars are now, God help us, Obama wars. I don't like putting the word Obama in front of things. <laughs> what about the word thanks? Obama thanks? <laughs> no, thanks, Obama. I like no, saying I that. Still, I still like Obama. No, I like him too. Oh, I hear so much hate. What, in my voice? No, no, about, oh, okay. about Obama. In yeah, Montana. I know. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I was at this uh, Chinese restaurant last night. Jill was in Boston. Yeah. Uh, um, and so just me and Oscar got the high chair out, <clears throat> went to a, a Chinese place. The Chinese food in Missoula is terrible. I know that. Um, <laughs> but I wanted some. I thought I'd give another chance, like an eighth chance. It still sucked. But there was a couple uh, a couple of friends. All right. Um, older. I think a business professor maybe. And maybe, I don't know. They were, they were at the next table talking kind of loudly. They're Quakers. And they were complaining loudly about Quakers. They sound great, right? Society sure. of Friends. Yeah. Peace in their hearts. Not to be confused right? with the um, with the Super Friends. It, you can confuse them. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. If you have like a, or like a Justice League in which people just sit around in a circle and talk out, but on like a high level, like on a superpower level. Yeah. You know, talk about um, conflict things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, so I was sort of you know listening because I think oh yeah, I, I have some friends who are Quakers and some of the people that I admire most and I think the most sort of thoughtful and, and humble people. Uh, these motherfuckers <laughs> are just hating on everybody else in the society of friends. <laughs> They're complaining about the chairs and how much the chairs cost and the chairs are uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, it's like just give me a lawn chair and we could spend this money on something else. Like oh, I hate it during the sort of the the. The, the kind of let's let's talk part. It's all politics, and people always want to talk about hunger and make you feel bad about you know what's going on. I figure you know we've got about two hundred years left in all this business, and everything will go to hell, and then the trees will come back. It's like, what kind of Quakers are these? <laughs> and then they started shit. talking about, and then that segue to Obamacare. These were Quakers who are opposed <laughs> to Obamacare. And who are suspicious of Obama, and who said he's not a Christian, not because they think he's a Muslim, right? But because whatever his actual, you know, church leanings are—I don't know—was he Baptist or Methodist or whatever it is—beats me. They didn't feel that that, that was a Christian. Oh, religion. Oh, that's because they don't talk about because they don't talk about Christ enough oh, in their yeah. in their doctrine. Yeah. yeah. It's the the you're doing it wrong school of of religious thought. Quakers, Quakers, just the, the the word makes me think of wholesomeness and oats and people who know how to chill for Christ's sake. Yeah, but no see. Yeah, society of friends, a smile on your face, backstabbers. You they got a little society of enemies there at the Chinese <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to mention is uh, a, a slightly a parallel but different type of um, sanctimonious, uh, you know, talking, which is people writing about defending uh, a poetry as relevant or the novel is not dead. And I'm I'm thinking about this because 
I'm writing a talk. People standing up against the uh, the argument that poetry's dead, and novels aren't relevant. Right. The, right. This that people, phenomenon. People, people that we we feel this urge. Right. Yeah. This is the poetry's poetry's dead, novels aren't relevant. We feel like, sure. oh, I should say something in response to that. Yes. Yeah. And this to is the not people a, who do so. Yeah. It's not a new. It's not a new phenomenon. I mean, I'm quoting as old in as my poetry and novels. Percy Bysshe Shelley's. A Defense of Poetry is one of his greatest essays, and it's from nineteen or eighteen twenty something. That's right. Uh, there was a, I found a, uh, actually quite a good essay by Dana Joya, who's um, coming to Cornell in a few weeks, and will be giving a reading here. And it was a, a very articulate, well reasoned analysis of the phenomenon of poetry having sort of retreated from public consumption into uh, academia, and what I, in my talk, am calling the. Uh, the literary industrial complex. Right. Joya, who Joya, who got out in front and was what is uh, uh, is a, is is a you know who one normally associates with the poetry is dead bumper sticker. Oh, really? Or is poetry dead? Was the name of his his Atlantic essay in nineteen ninety one, and then his book following it. That is the uh, essay I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's a cranky, uh, ridiculous essay. <laughs> it seems to me that it's perfectly reasonable to make these arguments. However, I don't think you should be doing it if you're a writer. And this is the subject of my talk, which is, if you're a writer, it is most healthy to assume that poetry, in fact, does not matter, and that the novel is dead, so that you don't have to think about your obligation to keep it alive while you're writing. And you let, know, me, I, let me let me let me direct you to a, an essay by Kevin Young called yeah. "Deadism," which ooh, you can find. Ooh, ooh, yeah, Deadism, please. Which says the same thing in a, in a lively way, sort of in the spirit of the Shelley essay, which is, "Yes, it's dead. Let's act like it's dead. Let's be. Let's write a dead poetry. Right. Let's write the irrelevant novel. Let's write the dead poem. Let's be dead poets." Oh, here I'm. I've got it here. Let me. I'm. I'll, let me read a little excerpt here. He says, "For years, I felt poetry was not ceremony, but the daily thing, the dirt." It is an everyday, not an occasionally. I still think it is. But perhaps the only way to make this truly true is to write a poetry that is not like death, but is death. Surprising, yet inevitable. Every day, yet far off in the future. And ever-present, that we still manage to forget. In this, it may resemble jazz. Or is this simply because, as Ralph, Elephant's, uh, Ralph Ellison says... Ralph Elephant? <laughs> yeah, he's, he said other things. Ralph Ellison says, life is jazz-shaped. Death may be jazz-shaped, too. Just ask Gabriel and Sachmo in their cutting contest. The only way to find out is to write a dead poetry. Yeah. I feel like relevance is the the specter of relevance is the enemy of good writing. And I like, like specter. You like specter? Word specter. This is the second specter in the podcast. There was the, the spectral boogeyman time traveler of earlier <laughs> earlier in the podcast. Um but I I, I think that uh, I think we shouldn't be wasting our time defend because some some of us aren't even we're not even being asked. You know the thing that the thing that got me going on this subject was that back in April during uh, National Poetry Month, NPR was doing a "Does Poetry Matter?" thing, and they asked Tracy oh, K. Fuck. Smith. Okay. I think I complained at the time, and Tracy K. Smith, of course, she just won the Pulitzer Prize. She's a very young woman, and f- is feeling very much like an ambassador for poetry. I th- I would imagine, and of course, gamely said, "Of course, poetry matters. My students, this the people I talk to when I travel, they remember the poems they were taught." But, you know, I think any intelligent writer has got to be thinking the only acceptable answer to does insert your field matter is fuck you. Go to hell. Yeah. You know, you don't get to ask me that. And also, I don't care. That's not why I'm doing it. 100% agree. Yeah. With both what you just said and the tone. It's the the kind of – it's the kind of – question the implication behind the question is should should we be spending all this effort should there be academic departments devoted to this impractical thing should there be you know but no one says no one asks the winning quarterback you know at the end of the super bowl does football matter yeah no one cares if football matters no i think it's it's an it's an irritating discussion i think i I try to stay away from it there was a big issue there's an article in something atlantic 
uh, recently that kind of, you know, the, the perennial questioning of his poetry, dead his poetry matter. And I read a paragraph of it and thought, I don't, I don't care. This is poison. This is poison to me. Yes. The entire discussion is not only uh, uninteresting, it is poisonous to me. It's mm-hmm. poisonous to the creative mind and uh, aggressive. And, it's, and it just is, you know, it's a way to sound important. You know, I, when I taught high school, you know, I still teach high school students, and they'll often, often write about death, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that, that shows very little familiarity with death. Um, and part of it is, well, we're concerned about death. The adolescent is you know, particularly concerned about you know, finding out what these, what these things are. But I realized that it's also, it's the, it's the easiest way to sound deep. Yeah. Is to talk about death, right? The shallow person loves to talk about death because it makes them sound deep. They don't have to, have to be expressing any thoughts about death. They don't even have to be thinking about death when they say dead or death, right? Yeah. They're not, they don't, they don't, they're not thinking about, I mean, the, the, the Kevin Young essay is thinking very much about death. It's, 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 it's related to his recent book, which is about the death of his father. Yeah. Uh, but to ask is something dead is not to engage with matters of death. It's, a, it's not a great metaphor for asking if something is passe or something. I mean, death, is, death is big. Let's talk about death. Yeah. You know, I'd love to have a long conversation about death with some of these people because it would well, scare the hell out of them. You know, and the very question of whether or not something is passe, it's the very different definition of passe is, is it, it has its, it's assuming that you are, that you assign some value to a temporary system of values. You, you know what I'm saying? That it's just some, saying that something is passe is like saying, I, at this particular cultural moment, am bored with this thing. This thing yeah. is not relevant to me, to me right now in my incredibly narrow yeah. little world, right. you know. And I feel like defenses of poetry or of the novel or any other sort of artistic form that is presumably being attacked from without. Though increasingly, I find people address this question without being asked it in the first place. That there's a compulsion to answer the question of whether or not poetry matters or the novel is alive by people who are not even being challenged on it. It's become reflexive. Uh, It's essentially uh, making a a robust argument for a temporary and meaningless system of values. Right. It's a very banal question, slightly pornographic. Slightly pornographic. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So so Dana, Joy, Joy is coming. Joy is kind of interesting. I don't think he's a good, he's not a good poet. Okay. Um, uh, he's a he's a, a meaningful writer, an interesting figure, um, often reviled, mostly because of that essay, and because he was you know Bush's pick to run the the NEA. Oh, I didn't know that. He's a Republican, and you know actively, and some oh, people shit. don't like that. Um, mostly everybody. All right, but um, but I think he's an incredibly thoughtful, um, and intelligent, and kind person. Well, I'm going to interview him for the for my other podcast. So perhaps you could tell me the kinds of things. And he's, he has a lot of he has written a lot of you know strongly worded and strong strong opinions, which are somewhat counter to things. But he's not a, he's not really a crank. All right, I think he's wrong about many things. Um, but uh, but I think I think I, I think I think highly of him. All right, but I, I don't think he's a good poet. But I don't think I'm a good poet either. So yeah, I'm no judge. Yeah, he, might be, he might be a very good poet. He's a very specific poet. I mean, he's a formalist poet, and his concerns are, you know, his, his, his energy tends to go towards that more than towards the imagination, which is sort of more of my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're very thought through. They're very, you know, he's uh, it's a very considered poetry. We've also got... Uh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, he, is, he's a, he is a beautiful poet. His poetry is beautiful, I would say, to the ear. You know, I've never, not never, I've rarely heard you talk about beauty as a thing in writing. Well, we've been talking about death, so we might as well talk about beauty. <laughs> might as well. You know what? We're sounding pretty profound today. Let's Don't ask questions think? like, yeah, is poetry dead? Oh, we already <laughs> talked about that. Is poetry beautiful? Is death I don't, beautiful? I don't, really know anything, I don't know anything about beauty. Is I usually, beauty I sort of dead? It, I sort of mean it dismissively, I suppose. Yeah. 
Brenda Shaughnessy's coming too. She has written one of the best poems of the last 20 years. It is which? Panopticon. Is it from the first book or the new book? First book. It's a little, it's a little dirty. It's, you want to read it? Poem. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. All right. Yeah, I think Brenda's a great poet and is also a wonderful person. To our listeners, I'm watching Ed type. It's as though I'm in his computer. I'm the screen he's staring at as he types. Brenda Shaughnessy, Panopticon, poem, full text. Oh, should I type in full text? No, I just made that up. It would help because I'm finding references. If you want, I could just pause the podcasting and go get the book. It's out in the other room. Books here. Um, I don't have any books out. Part of it's because we're sort of in transit. And also, um, Oscar will tear them down and tear them apart. But really? You familiar with the, uh, the while you're typing, I'll tell this. People should know about the Barlow May story, about the the baby who's tearing up books. I don't know it. You don't know that story? Oh, that's a great story. Now we're both typing on the internet. This is exciting for everyone. The first thing the baby did wrong, writes Bartholomew, was to tear pages out of her books. So we made a rule that each time she tore a page out of a book, she had to stay alone in her room for four hours behind the closed door. She was tearing out about a page a day in the beginning, and the rule worked fairly well, although the crying and screaming from behind the closed door were unnerving. We reasoned that that was the price you had to pay, or part of the price you had to pay. But then as her grip improved, she got to tearing out two pages at a time, which meant eight hours alone in her room behind the closed door, which just doubled the annoyance for everyone. But she wouldn't quit doing it. And then as time went on, we began getting days where she tore out three or four pages, which put her alone in a room for as much as 16 hours at a stretch, interfering with normal feeding and worrying my wife. But I felt that if you made a rule, you had to stick to it, had to be consistent, otherwise they get the wrong idea. She was about 14 months old or 15 months old at that point. Often, of course, she'd go to sleep after an hour or so of yelling. That was a mercy. Her room was very nice with a nice wooden rocking horse and practically 100 dolls and stuffed animals. Lots of things to do in that room if you used your time wisely. Puzzles and things. Unfortunately, sometimes when we opened the door, we'd find that she'd torn more pages out of more books while she was inside, and these pages had to be added to the total, in fairness. The baby's name was Born Danson. We gave the baby some of our wine, red, whites, and blue, and spoke seriously to her, but it didn't do any good. And blue. And blue. Yeah, that's from uh, The First Thing the Baby Did Wrong, yeah. which is available on the internet. Most of Bartholomew's short stories are... are uh, on the internet at this website, jessamine.com slash Barth. I'll, I'll put the link in. Did you find Brenda's poem? I can't find it. Okay. It's all right. You can look it up. It's a little, it's about uh, uh, vibrators, voyeurism. Yeah. A little, little, little blue. She's good. She's good a, on, beautiful. she's good and funny on sex, which yeah. is, I think, a rare thing in any kind of writing. Yeah. Good poet. Copper Canyon Press. Yeah, I know. Buy our books. People should. So what's the Inferior third thing with that's new with you? At, uh, human Dark with Sugar. Human Dark with Sugar, yeah. And the new one is Andromeda? I believe so. My Andromeda? My Andromeda, yeah. which is in part about her son. Uh, really great, moving book. Yeah. And I, sh- I think she'll be reading from it in a couple of weeks at, at Cornell. Um, third thing, I, I don't know what's up with me. I taught my, uh, I gave my baby uh, a deck of cards, or he found a deck of cards. Yeah. And uh, we spent a lot of yesterday throwing them, uh, playing 52-card pickup. Good. Throwing them up in the air like we didn't care. And we didn't. And uh, uh, they just littered the, littered the house uh, until uh, <clears throat> I figured I should pick them up before Jill came home. She got home at midnight last night from Boston, uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. And I think... I think they were all picked up by the time that she came home. I thought that that was the day's main uh, main activity. When you have Cats. a one-year-old and you manage to play 52 pickup and clean up the cards by the end of the day, that's a good that's, day. That's a good day. That's a solid, successful day. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. Are you doing all right with this with this uh, little kid stuff? I think so. We're getting I mean, up. We're no, getting up there know. in age. You know. 
you know, I've got, I, you know, the, I've, I'm in better, well, I think I've gained weight since I've gotten to Missoula, but I, I've, I'm more limber, like the getting yeah. up and down off the floors. Uh, that was what I was worried about, you know, all that up and down business. Uh, not a problem, you know, walk the kid around, very active with the kid, a lot of dancing, uh, a lot of uh, crawling around on the floor. Uh, the key, yes. the key to, to, uh, uh, to parenting uh, that I've discovered was having a good carpet. Oh. Makes a big difference. Having a carpet that's soft enough to sort of fall down on um, and doesn't hurt your knees when you're crawling around on it. We never had that, and that may have been a mistake. We've, we've always had wood floors since we've had kids. Yeah. Well, Although, it's not too late to supply them with a nice carpet. Um, well, we have one here in the studio, so um, the kids hang out back here sometimes, but it's mostly me. That's probably and why. The band. Yeah. Well, we. Them is not the music room, it's the carpet room. I have to say, I like the carpet, and I used to be anti carpet. I was never anti rug, I was anti carpet. But uh, and I would not have elected to put a carpet in this room um, had I built it. But uh, there's one particular song of ours called Club Amnesia where um, it breaks out into the second part of the chorus is um, has a has a uh, you know snares on one and three and uh, the the guitar both guitars and the snare are doing the same thing dun 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 and I invariably get really excited in this part of the song and I start jumping up and down in time with the song and it feels so good feels so good the carpet and you could feel the underlayer there and then there's the mm-hmm. you know the plywood uh the ply- the plywood that's supporting it all and the whole room shakes a little bit it's just very very delightful and it wouldn't be the same on a wood floor yeah i like jumping up and down by the way do you yeah it's always I, a little it's a little dangerous i kind of like uh this is something that shocked for me, me it's dangerous cuz when I, when i jump up and down i enjoy it but something on the other <laughs> side of the room tends to fall down <laughs> Your surroundings don't enjoy it. <laughs> no, you know, when Bob Bob Mould was playing at Bumbershoot, yeah. and it was really rocking. I mean, he was he was killing it. And the yeah. band is great. But bass player, I don't know the bass player's name. John Worcester's the, the dr- his right. current drummer. They were just really tight. And uh, and you you couldn't not move, but people weren't moving. There was people were standing right up by. I was maybe thirty feet from the stage. And oh, uh, Seattle, famously famously immobile crowds. Oh, jeez. Not, not a reflection of their actual enjoyment. I felt a little embarrassed bopping around like that yeah. just by my Im- immediate – people were sort of leaning away as if I were a like, crazy Like, oh, he's not, he's not from here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't enjoy music in that manner in Seattle. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy um, meeting Peter Bagg? I did. Cartoonist? I did. I was sure, well, we I you know to fill this in, we we're we're running out of time, but it's worth mentioning yeah. that uh, some friends of uh, Ed's uh, are have connections to the to the comedy and entertainment industry. So that, uh, I went over to their house with Ed for brunch and uh, got just talking to some some you know people I'd met there, and then t- turned around to find that the room had filled up with B-list celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> there was. You know, there were at least half a dozen people I recognized on site. You said, you said it was like the, the green room for The Tonight Show. Yeah, totally. It totally was. Totally was. I was like, what the hell happened in here? Uh, and I didn't talk to most of those people. But, Why is um, Patton Oswalt eating a quiche at a table? <laughs> exactly. I was like, hey, who's – that guy who's like – friendly ta- person tapping, is Tim Meadows. That guy tapping on his phone in the corner. It looks like Patton Oswalt. And then it occurred to me, oh, actually, that's probably Patton Oswalt. Uh, but yeah, we did talk to Peter Bag, the cartoonist, who's I, you know, I I loved Great. hate back in the day, and uh, he was a wonderful guy, totally sweet. I got to I got to meet and talk to Mark Marin. Yeah, and he was also a super nice guy. And a lot to me, partly because um, I we wouldn't be doing this without uh, the Mark the Mark Marin uh, WTF podcast, which yep. I gave me the idea like, oh, that that would be a fun thing to do. We could do that. <laughs> It's a great podcast, and I w- actually was talking to a student, a creative writing undergraduate of mine, yesterday um, about. Uh, oh no, it was one of my graduate students about uh, um, different approaches to craft and the the yeah. problem of writing and fooling yourself into writing, and you know the state you need to get into to write and so on. And she cited the WTF podcast as a great source of creative inspiration to her, and yeah. we sort of likened uh, what writers do 
less to what musicians do, more to what comedians do. I agree. Yeah, that's what that's what we talked about. He and I talked. Got to, I got to talk to him about that for a while. Yeah. Um, I I think it's they're great lectures and dialogues in uh, imagination and cre- creativity and its ups and downs. I concur. I concur. It's it's almost silly to link to it, and but since it's such a popular podcast, but I think I'm going to do that anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was delighted to meet him and uh, delighted to be surrounded by all those surprising surprising people. So thanks for that. I, every, I it was a say, nice. It was a nice spread too. Everything. Yeah, it was good food. Everything good about uh, yeah. everything about that weekend was a hundred percent delightful. Right, right down to the uh, the bar uh, near my hotel where we all converged. For every other meal and every other drink, the Cyclops. The Cyclops with the yeah, as uh, as Virginia said, an eyeball is on it, alcohol is in it. Very good. Yeah. I am sorry. I'm glad you had a good time. I th- and I suppose it was unavoidable. But I'm sorry that you had to spend so much time in Belltown, oh. which is that that neighborhood that was perfectly delightful and 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 effortless. It was adequate. Yeah, but which I I find is a Seattleite. Um, uh, a dead zone. If the whole thing had been what Capitol Hill is that where you would would have Capitol preferred Hill's to be? Capitol Hill is much more interesting. Much I, I could see it from Bumbershoot. <laughs> you could, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. like my North Seattle haunts. Well, uh, I'll be back to Seattle for AWP, and maybe we can uh, take a few jaunts up to Capitol Hill while while I'm there. We we, we will. The the, uh, the the convention is right at the foot of Capitol Hill. All right. It's a short uphill walk um, uh, to to its many uh, many delights. Perfect, and we'll have to f- we'll freeload our way into another uh, another on, you know uh, on site uh, lunchbox there, like we did last year. Right. We might we might uh, yeah. I have an idea for that. Okay. On Wednesday night before everything starts. All right. The Naked City Tap House. I think We're, I'm doing sort of hosting an event, but I don't know what it is. Might as well just be some version of this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. All That's right, we'll talk about talk. that. Uh, until next week, sir. Talk to you soon. Take care. And uh, uh, was there, is there a gig, a Starry Mountain Sweetheart Band? Yeah, I'll probably... Uh, the, the release date for the album is the 15th, so that would be uh, Saturday. I'll, I'll put a link to it if anyone's interested. Uh, you can get it off of Bandcamp, and within a week or so, you should be able to get it off of iTunes or Amazon. You can get a physical CD or a... Download. And you all are going to go uh, go to New York? We're going City? to New York uh, Friday the 20th. We're playing at the Gutter in Brooklyn, uh, Williamsburg, Good. Brooklyn. Uh, and then we're going to have a record release party here in uh, Ithaca in October. Very nice. But uh, I'll probably I'll I'll try and sell the Brooklyn show on next week's show if we do one next week. Yeah. All right, John. Good talking right. to you. Love to everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well, then we'll give you some lunch. Do you have a hankering for lunch?